Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Book Riot's annual reading challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2021 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will, hopefully, help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read romance by trans or non-binary authors, non-European books in translation, middle-grade mysteries, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash read harder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge. That's bookriot.com slash read harder. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Yukura. We're recording on Friday, January 15th. Hello, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I mean, uh, getting along in this world as we (laughs) navigate all of the (laughs) flotsam and jetsam that come our way. How uh, how are you? You know, just trucking along. I, uh, yeah, just trying to take the the world as it comes day by day, not get too ahead of myself, and looking forward to the next time we record where we will be in a hopefully slightly different world. Hopefully. <laughs> Sorry. It's just, everything is so much that it just feels like sometimes uh, you just uh, yeah. <laughs> have to just yeah. break into laughter without any kind of follow-up. Anyway. <laughs> True. Um, yeah, no, I think that I think things are good. It's it's weird that we're already halfway through January. I know I it flew. I, I feel like I lost a week. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my wife and I was like, well, it's this day. And she was like, well, no, it's this day. And it, I was <laughs> legit off by a week. And uh, I don't know what happened. So that's fun. Yeah, a lot of times goes by and you don't notice it when you're like doom scrolling. So. Oh, that's true. Oh, gosh. Can lose a lot of time doing that. I I can attest. It's uh, or you know, just like having the news on constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, so oh, we have like one piece of follow up, which is honestly just like me being really nerdy. <laughs> so last episode, Kim, uh, in our uh, twenty one books to look out for Mm -hmm. in 2021 i think that was kind of the overall theme yep kim picked 400 souls a community history of african america 1619 to 2019 by ibram x kendi and keisha and blaine and we got a shout out from ibram x kendi on twitter i freaked out i know so (laughs) i did too yeah had a real fangirl moment i have never had so many of my book friends message me (laughs) Literally, there was just like, oh my gosh, did you see? And I'm like, of course I saw. <laughs> yeah. 
It was uh, it was pretty amazing. I was I that was worth hopping on Twitter for a little while to to see. Oh gosh. So anyway, just real real highlight from the last <laughs> week. Kind of hold on to those when you get them. Exactly, and you know, don't obviously don't forget to check out Four Hundred Souls. It looks awesome. It does. Should we? Oh, should we? Uh, maybe talk about our first sponsor for the episode. Let's do it. Did you know? <laughs> The Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre as well as book news and deals. Uh, Sign up for Book Deals, uh, I am subscribed to this, to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world every day. So if you're like, I only want to read book news today, not regular news, that would be Today in Books. Get the Riot Rundown, our roundup of the new content going up on bookriot.com every day, or our new books newsletter that compiles a list of the week's most exciting new releases. It comes to you every Tuesday. There are also newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, and of course, True Story, the newsletter started by our very own Kim Yukara, now run by me, the nonfiction newsletter. So go to bookriot.com slash newsletters to sign up for the newsletters that are most interesting to you. That is bookriot.com slash newsletters. I'm glad you mentioned uh, True Story because I was going to do that if you didn't to be like, <laughs> you should sign up for it because it's really fun. I love every Friday you do these really great like themed book lists and I always love them because they're the themes are always really creative and they're good deep dives into particular topics. Do you know that when I come up with those, I literally am like sitting at my desk every time staring at my shelves <laughs> and I'm like, what is a theme? <laughs> Well, they always look very planned and smart. So, Oh, thank you. Excellent. All right. So our next segment for the week is nonfiction in the news. And, uh, you know, it's been a little bit quiet, but there is one thing we wanted to call out because it was, I would say, kind of a surprise in the book news world. So um, we're going to link to an article in the New York Times that is, uh, the headline is Simon & Schuster cancels plans for Senator Hawley's book. So uh, the gist of the story is that Senator Josh Hawley was uh, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley was one of several members of Congress who tried to overturn the results of the presidential election. Uh, he was uh, trying to do so before the mob attacked the Capitol and then in the votes afterwards continued on that path. And as a result, his book, which was uh, set to come out in June, has been canceled by Simon & Schuster. They will no longer be publishing it. And in response, Holly said that the cancellation was an affront to the First Amendment and uh, violated his First Amendment rights, which is uh, incorrect. But, you know, <laughs> sounds good on Twitter, I guess. <laughs> and uh, the reason this one is interesting to me is because there's been a lot of conversation about the responsibility that book publishers have. And there is debate about like access and publishing and all of that. But we have seen publishers put out a lot of books by people who I would argue perhaps don't deserve book contracts uh, or whose voices are not necessary. Um, and so to have them actually cancel a book from a sitting senator is kind of a big deal. And I think a good decision, obviously, given his connection to everything that happened at the Capitol. But I would say a surprise given what publishers have previously published and um, how, how a lot of that has gone down. So interesting and uh, a good choice by Simon & Schuster, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, I think it's 
not well i was about to say i think it's interesting i don't think it's interesting i think it's predictable that the (laughs) response has to do with the first amendment Mm -hmm. which it guarantees you the ability to say things that and have the government not persecute Mm -hmm. you right it's not about well you're not allowed to cancel our book deal (laughs) yeah that's not what it is (laughs) oh gosh it's a it's a fun thing to say on twitter but it actually is not at all a correct reading of the first amendment so that's that's not where your argument is best made um so anyway the new york times article we'll link to talks about this issue kind of a little bit more broadly talks about some other books in the past that have been canceled and then what happened afterwards and um gets a little bit into i think some of the like larger debates about this but yeah so that's a piece of news that is uh i thought interesting and with that we will jump into new nonfiction, which is books that are coming out recently or soon that we have read and enjoyed or are excited to read so um, my first pick for new nonfiction this week is called aftershocks a memoir by nadia wusu uh, it's coming out january 12th from simon and schuster and this is a memoir about quote the push and pull of belonging the seismic emotional toll of family secrets and the heart it takes to pull through uh and it's great so the book opens, um, uh, Nadia as a child, her father is an official with the United Nations. And so she follows, her family moves with him around the world from Europe to Africa, uh, kind of all over the place. Um, and so every time she kind of got settled in a place, their family would have to move again to a new placement. And so that kind of affected her as a kid, right? Her mother uh, abandoned the family when she was very young, and so her mother would occasionally pop up and be a part of their lives for a day or two and then leave again, and so that created a lot of instability in her life as well. And then when she was 13, her father passed away, and so all of those things really contributed to feelings of dislocation and lack of connection and a bunch of complicated feelings, and so the book is about that. Um, it's about her moving to New York as a uh, in her late teens to go to college, um, kind of finding her identity there. How you know without her parents and uh, periods of depression and mental illness and those kinds of things. And so one of the cool things about the book is that she uses the language of um, earthquakes to talk about these different parts of her life. So the title aftershocks comes from that, and she uses other terms related to earthquakes that I cannot remember because I am not. <laughs> an expert in that area, but she uses those to kind of talk about different parts of her life as well. Um, and I just think it's a really beautiful memoir. It's structured in an interesting way. Um, she's very descriptive and evocative when talking about her feelings at different times of her life and how her different um, family members, their um, responses and relationships to her affected her now and into her adulthood. And I just, it's really interesting and I really have liked it so far. So that is Aftershocks, a memoir by Nadia Wusu. Um, when you were saying that you didn't know earthquake terminology, it reminded it reminded me of um oh what is the name of a person who studies tornadoes? Like they're a what ologist. I don't know. Well, okay, so there was a far side cartoon after Twister came out and there were like two doors and one was like people who want to become whatever <laughs> ologists, and the other was people who have seen Twister. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it just reminded me because I feel like after that movie came out, everyone was like, oh, yeah, was that an F5? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most it, finger of God. That that kind of tornado. <laughs> so I I feel like if there had been a, a, a similar movie out about earthquakes, mm, we would at least mm-hmm. know these words. Yes. But alas, here we are. Alas. Um, th- also, that book sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel like we've had a lot of books about um, displacement and 
it's not quite immigration, right? Because her dad worked for the UN. Mm-hmm. So it's more just moving. Mm-hmm. But that's, yeah, that sounds good. Uh, my first new release book is You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey. Crazy Stories About Racism by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Uh, This comes out January 12th from Grand Central Publishing. My wife loves Amber Ruffin and, like, did before I knew who she was. I saw her on Drunk History, and she does – she has two episodes, I think, and she's so funny. And so when, like, I saw this book was coming out, I was like, oh, I'll check that out because of, like, Michelle. And then I started reading it, and I was like, this is so good. Mm Mm-hmm. When you spend a lot of time looking at, like, nonfiction, like, well, Kim, like you and I both do, I feel like you do see these, like, patterns of books, and you're like, oh, like, this falls within this genre, mm-hmm. like, this very specific subgenre. And I feel like this is different, which is really exciting. <laughs> when I started reading, I was like, oh, this is just a different take on this whole thing. So, essentially... Lacey Lamar is Amber Ruffin's sister. So the whole book is a back and forth between them, mostly comprised uh, or comprising stories that have happened to Lacey living in Nebraska and dealing with racism. But it seems like because they they say up front, right, like nobody dies in this book, you know, nothing incredibly sad happens. So it's it's like mm-hmm. a lot of sad stories, but like microaggressions, too. And then also like they kind of position it like it's it's funny, but also will give mm-hmm. um, white readers more insight into what the daily life of a black person, especially in the Midwest, um, has to deal with. Uh, Amber Ruffin says in like the intro that hopefully the white reader is going to read this, feel sad, think a little bit about it, feel like an ally, come to a greater understanding of the depth of this type of thing, and maybe walk away with a different point of view of what it's like to be a black American in the 21st century. And like, that's awesome. That's, again, it's just like a different way of approaching the situation, adding something to the conversation. I'm just like, I'm just real excited about it. And just as an example... (laughs) The whole book starts off, like, from the very get-go. They're, uh, they say that Lacey used to have um, black history checks, and she handed one to a cashier that had a picture of Harriet Tubman on them, and the cashier said, wow, you have checks with your picture on them? <laughs> yeah. Amber Ruffin is like, that's, I'm sorry to, like, have the book peak on, like, the first page, but, like, <laughs> like that's. This is a story. It's I'm just a, it's a book I'm really really psyched about. Again, it's very funny. It's it's really good. So that is you'll never believe what happened to Lacey. Crazy stories about racism by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. Yeah, I started this one and it's really great. Um, the thing about Harriet Tubman, that story goes on for her to talk Lacey to talk about um other famous black women that she's been mistaken for, and then. It, they put pictures in of this famous black woman and then Lacey trying to look like that person. <laughs> so <laughs> there's one of her trying to look like Oprah. It's really funny, but you read it and you sort of like laugh and also kind of want to cry and like cringe. The other great point they make early is Lacey lives in Omaha, Nebraska. And they're sort of like, you might think that Omaha, Nebraska is a small town, but actually no. And it lists a bunch of cities that are smaller than Omaha. And I remember one of them was New Orleans. And that just like blew my mind that we're not talking about like a podunk town in the Midwest. Like Omaha is a big city. And like she's having these just experiences that I just are, it's hard to even like fathom like how that can be happening but it is and i think it's good to read and listen to so yeah i totally agree it's great 
I was gonna get the audiobook, but now I'm like, oh, the I haven't seen those images yet, and that sounds really, really funny. Yeah. All right. So uh, my next pick is called "Laziness Does Not Exist" by Devin Price, which comes out January or came out January fifth from Atria Books. So Devin Price is a social psychologist, and uh, they grew up believing that productivity is connected to self-worth, which is, I think, a thing many of us can relate to. So Devin was an overachiever at school, graduated early from both college and graduate school, went on to work, but then basically like worked themselves into a, a major illness. They were diagnosed with anemia and heart complications from overexertion. And so that experience, along with seeing many other friends having that same kind of like work an insane amount and then have your body or something in your life just give out on you, um, convince Devin to sort of start looking into this further. And so the book is all about something that uh, they call the laziness lie. There's a lot of pieces to it, but what I've been taking away is that basically behaviors that we consider lazy are actually evidence of larger issues that we ought to address. And like uh, behaviors that we consider lazy are signs from our bodies and our minds that we need to like take a step back and assess what we're doing and give ourselves some room to breathe and that ignoring those signs can have real consequences for us. And so in the book, they explore the psychological underpinnings of the laziness lie, including origins from the Puritans, who are a whole other thing, and then how like digital tools have kind of blurred boundaries around work and how that has affected our ideas about laziness. And I just think that it is fascinating A few years ago, I read a book that talked about a lot of different things. But one of the pieces that stuck with me is how um, people will often, and myself included, will often use busy as a way to convey our own worth. So if people will ask you like, oh, hey, how are you? Like a default and easy response becomes, oh, gosh, I'm just, I'm so busy. And we do that as as kind of a way of like proving how important we are. (laughs) And that really made me think about not doing that anymore and trying to like not use that as a metric and a defense mechanism or a conversation starter. And this book, I think, is doing something similar with the idea of laziness. And so I've been reading it and finding myself thinking, well, yes, of course, that's a perfectly justifiable reason to be lazy. And then having to be like, no, it's not a reason to be lazy. Like laziness is not a thing. Like those are reasons for something else we need to think about. And so it's really like making my brain think about it in a different way, which I like. The one thing I will say is that the book uses a lot of anecdotes and stories, which I like, and there's a lot of evidence in it as well, but the evidence is more in the end notes, and so it doesn't, it feels like it's a little heavy on anecdotes data instead of real data, and I don't think that that's accurate, but that's, the way it's reading to me is a little bit story heavy, um, but I still really like it, and those stories have been really enlightening, um, at least partially, <laughs> to like hear about the crazy work uh, situations people have found themselves in and how awful they are, so. Anyway, I could talk about this book a lot. It's been really interesting. It's making me think about stuff in a different way. So that is Laziness Does Not Exist by Devin Price. Wow. It's real good. We talked a little about this title because I think we both have like, I mean, Mm -hmm. again, I I think many, many people in America especially have issues around the idea of being lazy or like this notion. When I first saw that title, I was like, oh my gosh, like I (laughs) absolutely have to read that book. Just the... Yeah, there's so much shame mm-hmm. around the idea of laziness. And it just creates this thing, right, where it's like always defining yourself by like busyness and also like this idea of productivity and like, you know, you are worth what you are producing, which is really harmful. Mm-hmm. And I just, yeah, I'm glad that they wrote this book. And 
uh, that I'm excited to read it. So next up is The Doctor's Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine by Janice P. Nomura comes out January 19th from W.W. Norton. This is another book I was really excited to see coming out. I haven't read a ton about Elizabeth and Emily Blackwell um, and their sister-in-law, Antoinette Blackwell. It was a very, um, speaking of productivity, it was a very productive <laughs> family. They, you know how especially in the 19th century, you seem to have these just like, I'm thinking of like Harriet Beecher Stowe and her brother and like you just, uh, her also, I think her sister, Catherine Beecher. These mm-hmm. probably aren't common names to a lot of people. <laughs> but basically, you had these a lot of families that would then become pretty well known in their mm-hmm. own right. And who knows why, right? Like maybe they all like inspired each other. I mean, it's also we can look at like the Brontes. Mm-hmm. But essentially, so Elizabeth Blackwell was um, she was a British physician. She's generally famous for being the first woman to receive a medical degree in the United States. She had, I mean, she lived from 1821 to 1910, which is quite a span of time in terms of all the things that happened during then, right? But one of um, her sister, Emily, was also a doctor. The story that I really love about her is that the reason that she got into medical school um, in America is because of a joke. So essentially, she applied to medical school in Charleston, in Philadelphia, in New York, and they all said no. Um, This is New York City. And so she then applied to Geneva Medical School in upstate New York. And the dean said, well, I'll let my student body vote on it. And if there's one no, then she can't come in. But they all thought that it was a joke. And so they all voted yes. And so she got to attend medical school, which, oh my goodness. But anyway, so then she had to like convince people to let her attend class, especially for a so, someone teaching reproductive anatomy, because they thought it was unrefined for a woman to be learning about. It's so just like, goodness gracious. But yeah, so she, at age 28, she became the first woman to graduate from medical school in the US. This book in particular is talking about her and her her sister Emily and their relationship, which I think is a really interesting and good way to approach it, right? Because a lot of people not only can, you know, relate to like a sibling dynamic and how that can really have its peaks and valleys, but also just it it has them um how they how they influence each other and their careers, which is also just like dang, and how much they both achieved, which is I mean, I, I feel like a lot of even just like basic kind of women trivia, like the history of women trivia stuff, I will see references to at least Elizabeth Blackwell. And so like, just like her legacy has endured, and that just means a lot. But anyway, if you are interested in fascinating women and the history of women in America slash, I don't know, kind of the world, she was from England. Well, okay, not the world, from England <laughs> America, then check out The Doctor's Blackwell, How Two Pioneering Sisters Brought Medicine to Women and Women to Medicine by Janice P. Nimora. Excellent. That one sounds really good. And yeah, a good like kind of dual biography way to approach that, which I think is is always fun. I like those when you get to see people in relationship with other people. 
it's kind of a fun way. So I have um, I have two books that I wanted to quickly mention um, that I didn't get to read, but that I think might be of interest to listeners. Uh, the first one is Kill Switch, The Rise of the Modern Senate and the Crippling of American Democracy by Adam Gentleson. And this is a book about the United States Senate and how it works and how what it means that a a diverse majority female and increasingly liberal country uh, bears the stamp of the United States Senate, which is controlled by people who are almost exclusively white, overwhelmingly male, and disproportionately conservative. And I think given this election in particular, it felt to me like there was a lot more conversation about the Senate and how important that was. And so I think that um, a book about kind of what is going on there and how it has changed would be an interesting one. So uh, that is Kill Switch by Adam Gentleson. And the other one I wanted to mention is called The Eagles of Heart Mountain, A True Story of Football, Incarceration, and Resistance in World War II America by Bradford Pearson. Uh, And this is about a high school football team made up of uh, young men who were in Japanese uh, internment camps during World War II. And so the Eagles uh, had their very first football season in 1943, and they finished it undefeated, crushing competition from nearby white high schools. And then it goes into their second season where the draft and World War II started to affect the young men and whether they would be able to participate. So uh, I love a good sports story. So that one also sounded interesting to me. Hooray! And so with that, we will jump into our second sponsor for this week. You can enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insider's Perks. We have three levels to Book Riot Insider, short story, novel, and epic, and you can try any level for free for two weeks. The highlight is our group read hosted online, which is available to all Epic members. Each quarter we'll read a book voted on by Epic subscribers that will fulfill at least one task of the 2021 Read Harder Challenge. And then we'll cap off the read-along with a live chat. Insiders also get access to our new release index so they can keep track of upcoming releases they're most excited about. I love the new release index. Uh, You also get exclusive podcasts, bookish merch deals, and more. So head to insiders.bookriot.com and then you can start your free two-week trial. All right, so uh, this week's theme, since it's the beginning of the year, we thought we would try to ease in to the new year by talking about easy nonfiction to start your year. And I have to admit, we decided on this topic, and then as I was trying to figure out, like, what books to talk about, I had this very uh, intense, like, what does easy nonfiction mean? And I struggled with it for a little while. So I'm curious, Alice, what does easy nonfiction mean to you? Okay, for me, and we, we, <laughs> we briefly touched on this before we started recording, because I picked a book that I don't think would generally immediately be categorized as easy nonfiction. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think it is readable and not very long. Mm-hmm. And uh, that obviously that discounts a lot of academic works that are like can be shorter, right? When I look up, because I also for the for the newsletter, true story, um, I did uh, nonfiction fewer than two hundred pages mm-hmm. for this week. A lot of the books in that category, or like fewer than three hundred pages, I noticed are very academic and very dense and very depressing. <laughs> and I mm-hmm. was like, these are not things that I would recommend if people were just looking for a short read. But I think that because you don't want to be like, you know, looking at just like really dense sentences and trying to unpack them because that kind of like defeats the purpose of doing a shorter read. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I think I think readable and I think less than 300 pages is a good marker. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. As I as I, what I settled on was stuff that is on the shorter side, but also books that I remember like the pages just turning really fast for some reason. Either like the plot like moves along, or the yeah the plot moves along, or there's just so much sort of like wow stuff in it that you want to just keep turning the pages. And th- that to me is a book feels easy when it just it feels like you're going through it very quickly for whatever reason. So I think we kind of came to the same conclusion. It just took me a really long time to get there. But the first book I ended up picking for this uh, is called Wild Game, My Mother, Her Secret, and Me by Adrian Broder, which came out in 2019. And as I've tried to describe this to people, I think the first sentence of the book jacket just like really sums it up very perfectly. So that is, on a hot July night on Cape Cod, when Adrian was 14, her mother, Malabar, woke her at midnight with five simple words that would set the course of both of their lives for years to come. Ben Souther just kissed me. So uh, the book opens with Adrian Broder's mother coming and confessing this uh, this affair to her daughter. And in that moment, her daughter becomes a confidant and an accomplice and helps her mother orchestrate uh, orchestrate an affair with this neighbor of theirs, her husband's best friend, for years and years and years. And Adrian is part of trying to help her mother like have this affair and keeping it a secret. And like as you would expect, follow up from that. Uh, comes to them and it nearly destroys both of the families who up until that point are very close. And so being part of this romantic deception on behalf of her mother also affects her own romantic decisions and kind of spirals out in other ways in her life. Um, and I uh, read this book last year, I th- right at the beginning of the year, and I just tore through it. I read it so fast when I was like right in the middle, I think of a time when I was having a hard time reading. And it just, it felt to me like I was reading a soap opera more than I was reading someone's real life story. Like there's just this really like lush descriptive quality to the writing. The families are both very wealthy. So there's a lot of just like rich people doing rich people things, which like can sometimes be hard to read. But sometimes when you just sort of like let it go and are like, boy, this is, this is so much. And you kind of get to eat your popcorn while you're like watching it happen. It just felt like it was kind of like a movie, uh, but also like good and complicated and had some interesting things to say about families and relationships and mothers and daughters and that kind of stuff. So I really like this one. I read it quick and I think it would be a good one to start your year with. So Wild Game, My Mother, Her Secret and Me by Adrian Broder. That's like nice and escapist too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not um, like, I mean, bad stuff happens because it's people doing kind of nasty things to each other, but it's kind of out of time almost, you know, like it's not... Well, it sounds like such a fiction plot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If that had been on any kind of, you know, like new release uh, fiction, uh, I don't know what genre that would be. Memoir. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it, in the fiction world, if this story oh, were being yeah. told, not, I don't think it's like, it's not like a thriller because it's not. No. It's like lit ficky, but kind of romancy, kind of genre y. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it would be very popular then because those are <laughs> banger genres. Okay, so kind of in a, a similar but very, very different um, escapist tone. And I'm going to explain that in, <laughs> in just a moment. Uh, I chose The Collected Schizophrenia's Essays by Esme Weijun Wang. So, okay, this was the book that I was like, you know, when Kim was like, well, how do you define easy, easy nonfiction? <laughs> this book, so it's 223 pages. So already, you know, check, check uh, on the length. It also, it does read very easily. Like when you go through it, it's not, and it's all the more impressive because Esme Weijun Wang is 
a former lab researcher from Stanford, uh, has a lot of academic background, but is able to write about something that is, um, and I think do it in, okay, so essentially it's that she was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder and writes about not only schizophrenia and the, the many, many ways that it manifests and sort of like that scale, and, but also um, her own experiences with it. And it's such a mix of not quite memoir, more just like like talking about herself. I know that you could say they're the <laughs> same, but I disagree. Kind of a mix of memoir and this like being analytical about it. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the really amazing thing is, right, she she has schizoaffective disorder and this is a thing that she deals with in her life, but also is able to just really be analytical about it. Mm-hmm. And I find that really impressive as someone who is not always the most comfortable with emotions and uh, finds it comforting to kind of look at things from a more, right, like analytical perspective. So I think that that's partially another reason why I was like, this seems like a good way to just jump into the year. It's also due to it being this like discussion about the facts and here, but here's also like an experience that was lived by me. I find it so distanced from the massive events that are happening, <laughs> you know, like in the world, that uh, I find it in a in a strange way to be comforting, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm uh, I definitely recommend this one. Um, if you if any of what I just said resonated with you and you kind of absorb things the same way, then yeah, the collected schizophrenias by Esme Wage and Wang. Yeah, I really like this one. And I don't know that I would have immediately put it on a list of easy nonfiction, but I see your point about like just the way that she approaches it. And her writing is really beautiful and she has a very keen eye for the things that she's writing about. And so I think all of those things really help the pages turn quickly, even if the subject is 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 difficult at, at times, for sure. So I agree. Uh, all right. So I'm going to in the second one go back to an old favorite that I've talked about on the podcast before but it is so great and I think would be such a delight to pick up in a time when you need something easy and goofy to read Uh, and that is The Great Beanie Baby Bubble Mass Delusion and the Dark Side of Cute by Zach Bissonette that is the uh, subtitle for the paperback version of this book Uh, the subtitle for the hardcover is actually better I think and so that one in hardcover it was The Great Beanie Baby Bubble the amazing story of how America lost its mind over a plush toy and the eccentric genius behind it Uh, And so in the book, Zach Bissonnette is a business reporter, and so he tells the story of the rise and fall of Beanie Babies, and he focuses a lot on uh, the creator, Ty Warner, who is enigmatic and extremely unpleasant to a lot of people, and so he's kind of a dark genius guy behind these, like, little plush toys, uh, which is just really hilarious. One of the things I love about this book is that he did some really stellar interviews with people who knew Ty Warner, and he... I don't know if he's like a really good interviewer or people just like had had enough, but he got the best quotes about Ty Warner from the people he interviewed. Like they're so intense and so mean in parts, but also so honest. Like they're just, just really great and sort of gives you this like whole picture of how much this guy was not liked by many of the people that he worked with. In addition to Ty Warner, um, there's also interviews with a lot of other people adjacent to Beanie Babies in some way. So he writes about visiting a man who lives with his 40,000 Ty products. And he does an interview with a guy who killed a coworker over a Beanie Baby debt, uh, which I don't remember that specific story, but like, boy, that sounds exactly right. 
So I thought it was, <laughs> this is just a really fun one, especially if you were a person who collected Beanie Babies as a child, as I was. But it also gives you a little bit of like educational content in that it talks about uh, the, the basics of speculative markets and the way that behavioral fallacies can lead to bad economic decisions. In addition to just being a really funny book, I put it on the list because it's my favorite kind, which is high drama and low stakes. Like I love stories where people are like passionately invested in this thing and they have a lot of feelings and but this, the ultimately the stakes of what is happening there are not particularly high. And so like you can let yourself get invested in the drama, enjoy it without knowing that like the consequences for most people are going to be pretty minimal. And I find those kinds of stories to be easy to read and kind of fun because they let you escape and sort of have some schadenfreude and stuff where you don't have to feel bad about yourself <laughs> for feeling that way. So um, this one's really fun. I highly recommend it if you haven't ever read it. So that is The Great Beanie Baby Bubble by Zach Bissonette. So I know that this – I know that you've talked about this before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, number one, delighted anytime that it is brought up because okay not only does this book sound great but every single time you talk about it and i think it's only like this is probably the third in two years but i am always like i want to read that and then i forget to pick it (laughs) so um i am again telling myself oh my gosh i really want to read that i've probably asked you this before too but do you still have any of your beanie babies i i do have a few of my beanie babies yeah it, what's the first one that comes to mind when you think of them? Bongo the monkey. <gasps> oh, I love Bongo the monkey. That's the one I, I wanted the most <laughs> when I was a child, and it took a really long time to find one. Wow. Yeah. My first one was Blackie the bear, mm-hmm. uh, who was a black bear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that made sense. I got it at a Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. No, I, uh, I still have a, a bison, I think. Oh. I just we're, – we're moving very soon, and I just – for some reason, for uh, for photos for the realtor, they did not want Beanie Babies in their photos. <laughs> so I had to pack them up, which I did in bubble wrap. I know that they're stuffed animals, but I was like, I just want to make sure they're okay. I love that so much. I need to read this book. Claire, yeah, you definitely do. <laughs> okay. Um, kind of related, my other pick, like in terms of weird collecting, mm-hmm is uh, Mr. Wilson's Cabinet of Wonder, Pronged Ants, Horned Humans, Mice on Toast, and Other Marvels of Jurassic Technology by Lawrence Weschler. So this was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize for General Nonfiction. It was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award for Nonfiction. And uh, it's about the Museum of Jurassic Technology in LA, which I encourage you to look at their website because it will transport you back in time to the year 1997. And it's just, and you think, oh, they don't update it anymore. But no, there's a sign on the the front page about COVID-19. So they just are like, yeah, no, this is what we made. Not changing it. And I really admire that. So anyway, this book is divided into two sections. The first half is inhaling the spore. And then the second half is cerebral growth. So the first half talks about the Museum of Jurassic Technology. Um, The author is a journalist. And he talks, oh, he's a staff writer for The New Yorker. So originally this was an article that grew into a book. And he talks about meeting the uh, creator of this museum, whose name is David Hildebrand Wilson. And he uh, is just um, an interesting guy. Is that, That's all I'm going to say. But in the second half, he talks about 
what is in the museum and about wonder cabinets, which uh, in German, this is a, this was a thing in the 19th century. They were called Wunderkammer, which are cabinets of wonder. So this was just a collections of weird stuff that people would have. And again, so awesome. I it's just, yeah. So in this, he talks about, um, oh, so the reason it's called cerebral growth is because one of the things in the museum is a human horn. So like a person who had a horn. One of the things that he also talks about, because he is, uh, you know, a journalist, he decides to look into the stories behind some of the artifacts in the Museum of Jurassic Technology. And it's basically him being like, well, this isn't real. And this is why, <laughs> which does eliminate some of the the, the fanciful fun. But also, it's just interesting, right? It's like when, um, it was it P.T. Oh, P. Barnum with his mm -hmm. mermaid that was made out of like a monkey and a fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like that. And then you learn that and you're like, gross, <laughs> but also, also interesting. Anyway, if you're just kind of like, I just want to completely forget about life right now and just read about weird stuff, then uh, check this out. It is Mr. Wilson's Cabinet of Wonder by Lawrence Wessler. Oh my gosh. So two things to say after this. I While you were talking, I went on my phone to the website because I wanted to see it and you're 100% right. That is... <laughs> like 1997 and they just don't care and i love that i i love that genuinely and this reminds me a little bit of the victoria and albert museum in london just because like that museum is just full of all this stuff victoria and albert collected and it doesn't make any sense all of the things that are there except it's really fascinating when you go because you can go and watch and like look through this whole exhibition that's just doors and then there's another one that's just different styles of railings. It was my favorite museum when we went to London several years ago. So this reminds me kind of of that, where it's just like stuff. And there's something cool about that. Yeah, they have a collection called Garden of Eden on Wheels, which is collections from Los Angeles area mobile home parks. Like, that's amazing. That is amazing. Man, that's so cool. What a great pick. All right, so that will wrap up our ideas for some easy nonfiction to start your year. Hopefully a soap opera or some essays or books about weird stuff we collected feels like a way to ease into the world or at least get a little break from everything that is happening. And so with that, we will wrap up as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. I just picked up at the Library Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethway, which we've talked about a few times in the last few podcasts. Uh, it won some awards at the end of the year. It's been on some best of lists. It's a memoir by a former poet laureate about her life. The main kind of uh, opening event of the book is that at 19 years old, her former stepfather shot and killed her mother. And so the book is looking at how this sudden loss shaped her and the artist that she would become. So I just got this one in the library, so I haven't really started yet, but I, we've talked about it a few times, and I really wanted to read it after it got on so many best of lists. So I'm excited that my hold finally came in. That's awesome. Yeah, we did uh, We did talk about that because everyone seems to love it. So I feel like once things reach a certain threshold of people saying they're great, I'm like, okay, this is probably great. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of, I'm reading <laughs> The Hate You Give. So this is this is my book club's pick for January, uh, The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Uh, this is, again, like, I feel stupid being like, it's really good. Because, yeah, everyone knows that. Everyone read it, like, two or three years ago. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I can affirm. Endorsed. 
Yeah. All right. With that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing uh, audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. Thank you, Jen. And if you feel so inclined, we would love it if you would take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps people find the podcast more easily. And then you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. So with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.